In the resurrection, whose wife will the woman be? That's the question the Sadducees had for Jesus. Who cares? We don't care about that. There are no Sadducees left. After the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, the Sadducees basically disappeared from the historical record. So a group of people who were arguing about whether there was a resurrection or whether there wasn't, that's not important to us. All Christians believe in the resurrection. Our creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the two main creeds of the church that we've been saying for nearly 2,000 years, both of them assert that Jesus came back to life, that there is such a thing as a resurrection. The Bible also says that not only was Jesus resurrected, but that all people will be resurrected. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus says in John, and those who believe in me will also rise. They will, never, they will die, but they will live. And there's whole sections of Paul's writings, which are the earliest writings we have in the Bible, in the New Testament, I mean, whole sections about being raised, about all of life being resurrected. But we don't know anything about resurrection. When you read the gospel stories, of which we have four, they don't tell us anything about resurrection at all. What they tell us is what happened after the resurrection, not what happened at the resurrection. It's a mystery. In fact, a couple of angels talk to the women who go to the tomb and they say, why are you looking for the dead? Uh, sorry, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Because Christ is alive. So whatever resurrection is, it means to be alive. And, and according to the way to what we know about Jesus after the resurrection, it's to be alive and to be present in the world. A couple of times he says, look, see my hands and my feet. Look, see, it's me. To be resurrected is to be yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. But it's to be yourself the way we are as people, full of all of our experiences. Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. Look at the wounds that I've received these are my scars. These are what makes me who I am. We've all got scars, many of us physical scars. We've had caesareans, we've had appendixes out, we've had broken things. They are part of what makes us who we are. We've got a pile of emotional scars, all of us. They are part of who we are. So to be resurrected is somehow to be alive, to be the same as we've always been. But somehow it's not the same either because you'll notice in all of the, 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 the Gospels that talk about meeting Jesus after the resurrection, the people who've been with him for three years in his ministry and have only not seen him for three days since his death, don't recognise him. Something's happened to Jesus. He's the same, but he's not the same. So whatever resurrection is, it's 
being the same, but it's not being the same. It's an extraordinary mystery. But Jesus says in this text, it's a strange text that we've got, but he says in this text that the that those who marry in this age will not marry in that age. So what does Jesus mean by that age? Well, this is the thing he's been talking about all through his ministry. Jesus begins his ministry in the Gospel of Luke, and that's the Gospel we've been dealing with all of this year in the lectionary. Next year, which starts uh, at the, on the last Sunday of November, the beginning of Advent is the beginning of the church year, we'll be dealing with Matthew. But this year we've been dealing with Luke. And at the very beginning of Luke, or near the beginning of Luke, Jesus stands up in a synagogue and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, release to the captives, freedom to, to the prisoner, and to proclaim this is the year of the Lord. That was Jesus' whole project. And the rest of Luke's gospel spells that out. And he calls that year of the Lord, or he calls that world that he's bringing into being the kingdom of God. And all the way through Luke's gospel, we can learn something about what this age that Jesus is talking about is actually like. It's an experience that never ends, we find in Luke. It's an experience that envelops and brings in the poor. And from Luke's gospel, that means the poor. That means the people with no money. But it means the people who are emotionally and spiritually poor, which involves all of us. That whatever happens in this new age, it's about healing. People constantly get healed. It's given to us as a gift. It's very small in some ways. It's like the size of a mustard seed, but it's extraordinarily powerful. It's embracing of all the birds in the air land on the tree that comes from the mustard seed. It's like, and Jesus says this a number of times, it's like a big feast in which all people are invited, especially those you would never think would get invited. Whatever the age is, whatever resurrection is, it involves all of those things. That's why Jesus says he proclaims the year of the Lord. Now, he did that in a very special way because he was living in a time when Rome ran the world. And there are many times in, in the inscriptions that we see where the Romans say, this is the year of Augustus, who was the Caesar just before Jesus was born. Jesus is changing that completely. This is not the year of Caesar Augustus. It's not the year of any of the Caesars. This is the year of God. And then he says in this reading, in the resurrection from the dead, people will neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God. The mistake the Sadducees make is assuming that the age to come that they didn't believe in, but they were trying to trap Jesus with their convoluted question of a man who has a wife, he dies, the brother takes the wife, which was the model, 
It's called a Levite marriage. It was, the, it was a model not only for the Jews, but for many people of the, the Near East, be, ancient Near East, because it was the only way of being able to provide uh, for a widow. It was the only way to keep the clan going and not have people marry outside the clan and dissipate the clan and sometimes lose property. So it kind of made sense. But they built it whole up to seven. There's seven of them. Ah, oh, well, now answer this. If God made the world, who made God? Huh? It's that kind of a question. You know, it's not a real investigative question. It's a tricking question. But they make the assumption that whatever the new world will be like, that age, as Jesus calls it, the kingdom of God, the resurrection, will be just like this one. So she'll have to be somebody's wife. Which wife, whose wife will she be? But Jesus says they won't marry. Why does Jesus say that? Because he knows the future? Oh, maybe. I'm inclined to believe that Jesus was far more like us than we sometimes want to admit. But I think the reason people won't marry, as Jesus says, is because marriage needed, was needed not as an expression of love and commitment in our culture, but it was a, a way of managing social connections of, of the clan, of the family. It was a kind of an early version of social welfare. It was an early version of economic stability. It gave women and men, but particularly women, security. Even if they were moved around from one brother to the next as if they were owned rather than human beings. That's why marriages were arranged. You couldn't allow people's enthusiasm, energy or hormones to determine who would marry who had had to be inside the clan. And Jesus says they won't do that anymore because they won't need to. There won't be any need for clans to stick together, for families to stick together because of economic turmoil or security. All of that will come in this new age, in the kingdom of God, from God. It will be exactly as Jesus said, it will be like a banquet to which everyone is invited. Especially those who don't normally get invited. Even, if you can remember back an entire week, even back to Zacchaeus, a rotten tax collector. Even people like that. That's the new age that's coming. But you know, Jesus says something incredibly profound and disturbing in the middle of Luke's Gospel. Because a crowd, and mostly some Pharisees, but other people said to him, you've been talking about the kingdom of God over and over again. You've been talking about this world where the blind see and the deaf hear and the poor are raised up and the captives are released. And we're all captives, of course, because of Rome. You've been talking about this world and that it's going to be about the year of God. When is this going to happen? And Jesus said, well, essentially, he said, it's already happening. It's actually among you now. It's in you now. That's quite disturbing, really. I mean, look at us. A bunch of old people in a room on the side of a road. There's a lot more people up at the Arndale Shopping Centre now than there is here, isn't there? 
And if they're really smart, there's a lot of people down walking along the beach. And if you watch TV, not many old people are on TV, are they? Or if they are, they're not treated with much respect or dignity, are they? We live in a culture where age is, well, it's sort of something to be put up with rather than something to be celebrated. 200 years ago, none of us would have been alive statistically. Nobody lived past 50. Look at us. Most of us look pretty healthy. We've gotten over COVID even. We've got an enormous amount to celebrate. The fact that we're alive in God's, on God's good earth. The fact that we're able to gather together in faith and in hope. There's something enormously wonderful about celebrating that because Jesus said it is often a very small thing. But it's among you. And the other way you could translate that, that reading is it's within you. So we're already full of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Paul, in his writings, talked about it as being so profound it was like creation began again. You are a new creation, Paul says in Corinthians. Now, I don't know about you, but I was aching a little bit when I got up this morning. I didn't feel much like a new creation. I just felt like, well, I'm just glad to be able to stand up um, and try, to try and shake the cobwebs out of my head and get the day going. But if Paul's right, if Jesus is right, that the kingdom, the way of God, the resurrection, the new life of God is present in, in us and among us now, we're constantly invited to live in that newness. And that's not nothing. And the fact that we're able to gather together each week and sing the songs that we sing and hear these ancient scriptures that we listen to that's not nothing. It gives us enormous uh, sense of the full truth of it. I've always loved the fact that in the Uniting Church, we pretty much try and stick to the lectionary. You know, it's not a rule. But it means that everywhere around the world, there are ministers and other preachers dealing with this exact text as the same way we are, trying to make sense of this great mystery in buildings just like this, on the beaches, in tents, in all kinds of places. Huge crowds and small crowds. People's crowds much smaller than us. Doing the same thing. And we are a part of them. We're part of that great mystery. 